Devora Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. Okay, so we are talking about bitachon, and we're going to summarize today, but we're going to go on with a, a couple more points about bitachon. Bitachon is a skill. It's not an easy mitzvah. It's a mitzvah that a person needs a whole lifetime to be able to develop and progress in. There are many counterfeit types of bitachon. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And just so that we can identify those for ourselves. Um, Okay, bitachon, generally speaking, we know is emuna put into practice, right? If a person believes there's a God, believes there's a creator, believes there's somebody running the world, it can remain in theory. It can remain up there in the head or far away up in heaven. But the kuntz, bitachon, is to integrate that belief in such a way that your responses and your reactions to life and to the things that life throws throw at you are responses that reveal the personality of someone who believes that there's a God running not only the world out there, but the world right here, my world, and all of its nuances, that my days are full of hashkacha pratit, right? They're full of divine providence. They're full of... Hashem being involved in my day. And of course, the more we wear the glasses of bitachon, where we recognize and notice that in our everyday mundane lives, God is interested and active and causing certain things to happen, creating the results of whatever efforts we're making. The more that we live like that, the more the bitachon will create greater serenity, tranquility, reduce anxiety. We talked about it reducing guilt, take away jealousy. Other people have what I'm supposed to have. They took my car, my shidduch, my house, my job. It will create more gratitude. And so bitachon is really a wonderful catch-all for so many problems that plague us, the more that we walk down the path of working to integrate the mindset, the glasses that a person with bitachon looks at the world. Okay, so I'm going to talk about bitachon and the small details of hashkacha pratit in our day, in our lives, right? An HP moment. For those of you who went on the um, JWRP or momentum trip, one of the first things they teach you on the bus is the idea of hashkacha pratit, that Hashem is not just a God who's way out there and uninterested in our lives, but he's involved in all of the details of our life. And sometimes we get to see him, right? We have a coincidence. We're thinking about somebody and they call. I just moved that picture of Rav Yosef Soloveitchik that my son drew in in my room here because I figured I'd never see it 
And while I was moving it, he called me. He never calls me this time in the morning. What's he calling me now? <laughs> I said, hey, that's funny. I'm just hanging on to your picture right now and moving it. So, you know, these kind of things. Hi, God's winking at me. God's letting me know. Hi, I'm involved in your day. I'm, I'm here. Things don't just happen. So God's hashkacha is in everything. We said HP could also be in, in on these trips. They call it a higher power moment, right? Higher power, that something happens in your day that you definitely say, wow, that was incredible. So the idea is, like the Chazon Ish says, uh, quoting the Rambam, that there's a Gemara that says every blade of grass has an angel that says grow. Every single blade of grass has its own angel that says grow. And the idea of this Gemara is again to teach us that God's hashkacha, his divine providence, his supervision is over everything. Now, why do we have difficult, difficulty with this idea? Rabbeinu Yonah goes on to tell us, in everything that you do, in all of your ways, you should know him. In other words, you have to see Hashem in everything. And Rabbeinu Yonah goes on to explain that people have places where they see Hashem in their life and places where they don't see Hashem in their life. Or they don't think that Hashem has any business being in that part of life. That's outside of his purview, so to speak. So, you know, we just had elections in, in America. And, you know, you can sweat and you can get angry and you can hate your fellow Jew because they're not on the same political team as you. <clears throat> and you can spend a lot of time worrying about who's going to be the next president. Or you can basically say that this is a place where we need to see Hashem. That, you know, the same way that Hashem hardened Paro's heart back in the Torah, <clears throat> we're coming up to that soon in Shemos. We say the heart of kings, the heart of leaders is in the hands of Hashem. That Hashem moves leaders, political leaders, uh, the workings of the world, that he's in charge of them. So as much as we should hope and pray for the leader that we want to be in power at the time that there is a choice, part of Bitachon is accepting that Hashem is in everything. And if something went a certain way, that's the way it's supposed to be. Hashem is involved. <clears throat> Now, the Rambam teaches us, and this is something we haven't talked a lot about, which is the principle of olam keminhago nohe, that the world goes in terms of certain patterns. In other words, we haven't talked a lot about the fact that, yes, there is something called cause and effect. We know that, right? There is an idea that you do certain activities and they create certain outcomes. You know, if you cross a busy street without looking, the liability, uh, the statistical probability of your getting run over is higher because of what you just did. So Hashem runs the world in this way. The world goes in terms of certain patterns. When you go out without a coat, the Talmud says you're going to get a cold. And don't blame God for it. You are a fool, right? 
Don't say, well, you know, God can protect me. I don't need to wear a coat. I can be one of those yeshiva guys who just wears a scarf all winter long in Yerushalayim, right? And I'll be fine. That's called stupid. That's not called bitachon. Fine. So there are things that run according to nature, according to natural. What we call this is divine non-interventionalism. Divine non-interventionalism. Hashem doesn't have to get involved here, okay? So when does he get involved, so to speak? So we're going to look at a book. It's called Hamaspik Le'ovde Hashem. It was written by actually the son of the Rambam. His name was Avram ben Haramlam. And he says that basically there is hashkacha prati. There is evidence of a higher power everywhere in everything. And he says that there's three categories of how this higher power works together with bitachon. Okay, so this is something new and I think it's very interesting. So he says there's three categories. So the first category of how bitachon and the workings of the world work together are in relationship to very high level people. People who are on a very high spiritual, what we call madrega level. Okay. We're speaking about prophets. We're speaking about people who have contacts, so to speak, with God while they're sleeping, by the way. The only prophet who would have prophecy while awake was Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu, which is what made him the greatest of all the prophets. Other prophets would have um, uh, conversation or revelation from Hashem while asleep. But obviously, this is also a very high level. So for these kind of people, we're told Hashem will change nature for them. Um, and the the son of the Rambam, let's call him Avram ben Harambam, he says any regular person who thinks that Hashem is going to do this for him is called a Baal Ga'ava, a Baal Gaiva. He's arrogant. He is out of touch. He thinks he's on a much higher level than he really is, and he expects that God will stop the cars for him as he, you know, mindlessly crosses the highway and... We know that people like that, unfortunately, don't usually last too long walking the streets because they're not, you know, it's not safe. There's actually a syndrome like that called the Jerusalem syndrome. Maybe you've heard of it, that very often there, well, it happens. It's, it's a psychological term for people who go to Israel and get sort of blown away by the spiritual currents there. And maybe they were already a little bit uh, on the edge. And they start thinking that they are Moses or the the guy who uh, the holiday's all about coming up. And, you know, they basically lose their way. But, of course, they could start thinking a lot of um, ideas of grandiosity and that God's going to intervene for them. So, obviously, this is not a good place to be. And somebody who thinks this way, who's not a Navi, who's not on a very high level, the Rambam, uh, Avram ben Arambam says that is not good. Um, but let's talk about, but here's the caveat. Here's the exception. 
You can believe that God's going to do something for you if there is a mitzvah given to you. For example, we have a mitzvah called Shemitah, that we have to leave the land fallow, right? And not work the land. And God promises that us that we're going to have multiple gain from leaving the land fallow. And it's, of course, it's totally, um, it's totally not rational. It doesn't make any sense. It goes against everything that we understand. But God promises us in the Torah that if you keep the laws of Shemitah, you will not lose, rather you will gain. And I don't know if you've ever been, I once, years and years ago, I went to a Moshav Komamiut, it was called. And it was a religious Moshav, and it bordered with another Moshav that was non-religious. And they kept Shemitah, and the other one didn't. And they had like a little sort of museum that you could walk through, where they showed how literally um, locusts came that year and destroyed everything to the right of them on the land that was not keeping Shemitah. And you could literally draw a line between the two Moshavim where the locusts began and the locusts didn't touch. So sometimes we see it very clearly, but the point is that whenever there's a mitzvah involved that promises something, you are supposed to rely on it. We're told that if you give tzedakah, right, you give a tenth of tzedakah, you want to be a little more generous, go ahead. God says you will not lose. I will pay you back, right? Some mitzvahs were told that unnatural things will happen. And so the, in these mitzvahs, we are all supposed to believe. And in this way, we are like the prophets. Okay? We are like the prophets who can expect God to move nature, to change nature, to do things that seem counter, uh, counterintuitive to logic. We are supposed to see ourselves as on that level. In other words, we have to believe that mitzvahs do not cause us any loss. So let's say, for example, you know, you just, you're living in Israel and it's 100 degrees in the shade and you just made a cake and you didn't realize that the flour that you used was infested and the cake looks so good and this and that and you made 10 cakes, you're giving them out to all your neighbors, let's make it really extreme. And then you realize, oh my gosh, the flour was infested, you're going to throw all of those cakes away. And you're going to believe that because I'm doing the right thing, I'm doing a mitzvah of not eating what the Torah tells me not to eat. I'm not losing a penny, I'm not losing a thing, maybe some time and effort. But what I'm gaining in doing this mitzvah can only be good for me. Okay, so we have to ask ourselves, where do I have some doubts about where Hashem runs the world, where he says he will do the supernatural for me? Do I really believe it? So, you know, keeping Shemitah is a very big test for farmers, for people who are, you know, maybe not so believing. They think it's crazy. How could you do something like that? It's suicide. It's business suicide. And it's very hard to do it if you believe that you will lose out. But you have to do it and really believe that you will not lose out. And it's the same with Shabbos, right? For somebody who's only beginning or thinking about keeping Shabbos more seriously, right? Closing their store, not 
having it open on the most productive day of the week. So here is where the son of the Rambam tells us you have to believe like on the level of a Navi that when you do a mitzvah, there is no way you are going to lose out. Hashem is going to repay you for every cent that you would have made. And the opposite, which I don't really want to go into, but anything you did make on that day anyway, God will find a way for you to lose. So you won't really be able to hold on to it anyway. But on the positive side, we have to believe that bitachon is that if God gave me a mitzvah, even if it sounds counterintuitive, it doesn't make sense logically. If he promises you, you give tzedakah, you'll be rich. You keep Shemitah, you'll have more than everybody else. You keep Shabbos, you won't lose a penny. I'll fill up your cup even fuller by not working, right? So we can say this in everyday kind of things too. For example, you know, if I'm honest about filling out this form, well, hmm, I might not get the job. But if you believe that honesty is the right way, is the way Hashem wants you to go. And that honesty is more important. Then you won't give in to that, right? That honesty is more important to get what you're really supposed to get, what you really need, okay? I know if I'm doing the right thing, I have to truly believe that I won't lose. In this area, I have to trust that miracles could happen, okay? For example, another, another example that the Gemara gives is money that you spend on your child's education, Jewish education. You know, I've joked before, right? They say uh, day school tuition is the best form of birth control. <laughs> but the truth is, is that the, the, the Torah promises us that any money that we spend for our child's Jewish education is going to come back to us. We're not going to lose. We can rely on miracles in this area. Okay. Now there's the right kind of spending and there's the wrong kind of spending. And a person has to be very honest with themselves. You know, for example, there are people who spend too much for Shabbos, right? On the one hand, we know, we say God foots the bill. You're supposed to make the Shabbos meal beautiful. It's supposed to be better than the, what you eat during the week. You should spend more money on it. But let's say somebody who really can't afford to spend a lot of money on Shabbos, but they say, you know what? Hashem will take care of me. And they go out and they buy, you know, whatever, a whole cow. They get a whole cow shechted for them. I know somebody like this, you know, they have to eat meat, you know, all week long. I mean, even this spills on over into the weekday, right? And you're kind of like saying like, hi, like, I mean, I don't eat like this and I'm, you know, doing better than you. Like what's going on? So a person also has to have seichel. Just because God says, I foot the bill on Shabbos and I'll take care of everything. You still are supposed to spend within your means not below your means. You shouldn't be not dressing up nicely for Shabbos or not putting out, you know, putting out hot dogs instead of chicken, unless your kids only eat hot dogs, of course, you know, 
of course, you're supposed to eat what you like, what gives you pleasure, but don't skimp the other way either. And that shows bitachon. That shows reliance on Hashem, you know? What about a person who goes out and spends too much for an esrog? So you have the same kind of imbalanced personalities that can say, oh, well, you know, I'm doing a mitzvah. God's going to take care of me. God's going to give me the, you know, $600 back that I spent on the esrog, even though my wife's been bothering me for, you know, six months that we don't have any uh, food in the house except for macaroni, you know, whatever. So. Everything with balance, okay? But again, the idea is if I if I buy kosher food, even if it's more expensive, God promises me that I'm not going to lose anything from buying it. This is called bitachon, and this is the type type of bitachon we have to have on the level of the navim that God will intercede, God will do things that are counterintuitive, counter logic. Because the mitzvah says, if I do it, you will not lose. You will only gain. One thing we know is that money is pre-allotted. Nothing is going to change for the negative if I give up money, for example, that I found and made a kiddush Hashem. Remember that story about the guy who found the money in the desk? He bought a desk on Amazon or something or one of those. And he got this desk and he moved it into his place and he was cleaning it out. And he pulled out one of the drawers or behind one of the drawers and he found an incredible amount of cash. I can't remember the, the exact sum, but it was a lot of money. He traced down the woman. He gave her back all of her money, which I think she'd even forgotten was there. Something like that. I don't know. She was an older woman. And it went viral and it was all over the news. And the world was hearing about this religious guy with a keep on his head who gave back this money, which according to Halacha, he probably didn't even have to. Okay, he bought the desk. Everything in the desk belongs to him now. According to Jewish law. But he went beyond Jewish law. He said, I want to do the right thing. I want to do what's will make a Kiddush Hashem in the world. He's not going to lose anything, only gain. So the idea is, is that when we follow a, a halacha, a little voice says inside of us sometime, wow, you know what? If I do this, it might really mess things up for me. You know, if I start, you know, keeping this mitzvah or that mitzvah, I, I don't know how it'll be good. But the Balbi Tachon says, I believe Hashem is going to do good through this, through my doing this mitzvah, through my taking on something, by my aligning myself with Hashem's will, by my getting myself aligned with the workings of the universe and all of its details, right? By behaving physically and aligning my actions with that which resonates properly in the spiritual world because we said that whatever we do down here we are in power we send it up and based on our actions down here our efforts our trials our struggles our challenges and how we try to get through them with Hashem next to us that's what Hashem will send down to us he responds to us 
So if we readjust ourselves just a little bit, realign ourselves with the will of God, right? It says in Pirkei Avos in the Mishnah, treat God's will as if it, your, if, as if it was your will. And he will treat your will as if it is his will. So, you know, there's movement on both sides. So in areas where we're commanded to do something, we must believe it won't cause us damage. You know, there are certain halachas that seem to be a contradiction to health. You know, on Tisha B'Av, they want me to sit on the floor, take an egg and dip it into ashes, right? You have to make yourself a little thing of ashes there. I don't want to eat ashes. I'm very careful about what I eat, you know? I get sick if I, you know, inhale something on the street that isn't, you know, to my health benefit. You're going to tell me I have to eat ashes? Now, nobody could tell me that's good for you, Okay. But the idea is, and of course, I'm giving it, you know, or there are people who say, no, I'm sorry, I don't eat matzah. I don't eat matzah. It doesn't do well with my digestive system. Well, today, Baruch Hashem, we have lots of different matzahs. People could find other matzahs to eat and fulfill the mitzvah. But the point is this, is there is no way that you will lose from doing a mitzvah, from doing that which God tells you. And if God has to move heaven and earth and make miracles inside of your uh, abdomen inside of your stomach in order for the matzah to be okay, he can do that too. The same way he can give the farmers triple the crop after leaving the land fallow, not working the land. So we do it even if it's not so healthy. We do it if it's not even good for business, right? Closing our store, taking a break. Because we know Bitachon, the Baal Bitachon knows that if Hashem promised it, then I'm on the level of the very high people, and he will move heaven and earth to make sure that there is a good outcome. Okay? All right, category two, and we spoken about this category in our last class, so I'm not going to go into it too much. But these, uh, um, Avram ben Arambam says, are people who pretend to have Bitachon, but behind closed doors, they don't really believe Hashem is running their life. Now, they wouldn't say outright that Hashem is not in this place, but in private, they believe this. And the example we gave in the last class is with the idea of hasagas gevul, which means, you know, encroaching on another person's boundary. That's the example we gave of the guy who has a shoe store and the other guy opens a shoe store right across the street from him. Or we told that story about the dentist in Israel, right? Who was helping. He was on such a high level of bitachon that he didn't feel at all that this other dentist is going to take away his business, that it's going to have any effect on him because Hashem gives you what you are supposed to get and nobody can take that away from you. And so he went to the other degree. But he says, the Chazani says, you really see where people are holding with their bitachon, right? They can chirp about it all they want. But when somebody opens up a business, a travel agency across the street, right? They're going to say, oh my gosh, and start freaking out. And Hashem is not in this place. I got to do something. I got to sabotage this guy. I got to speak Lashon Hara about him. I got to make sure nobody does business with him. I got to tell them, you know, how he's ruined other people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay? Don't trust him. So the idea is, is that 
I have to believe that his business will have nothing to do with my earnings. Okay. The Chazanish said people chirp about bitachon all day, but when something hits close to home, their bitachon flies out the window. Honesty in Shaduchim, for those of you who are involved in Shaduchim. Hi there. Okay. People who sweep things under the carpet in order to make a shidduch, you know, because who's going to know? And, you know, we need to do this because let them have a chance. Let them go out. It doesn't matter. We won't tell them that he has a very serious disease or um, is it mentally imbalanced or whatever it might be. And I'm using extremes. Okay. Instead of trusting that before creation, we say bas ploni leploni, that Hashem is the one who makes shidduchim, right? That before a person's even born, God is making matches. He's saying this person with that person. So if you really believe that, I don't have to hide the medical issue, right? Now, there are obviously halachas that go along with this, and I'm sure those who are watching who are maidens in this area know about them. But I'll give you one example, okay? So let's say somebody has a serious handicap. So it is a question in Jewish law, if you're trying to set up, let's say, a boy with a serious handicap with a girl, whether or not you're allowed to keep it a secret, okay? So in this case, they went to a very great rabbi in Israel. His name was Rabbi Rav Shlomo Zolman Auerbach. And they asked him if they're, if they're allowed to keep it a secret. So what Rav Shlomo said that for the first four dates, you don't have to tell the girl that he has the serious handicap. In other words, you're allowed to let them go out to see if they like each other. And after four dates, you can share the info. Because after four dates, when the person's given the other person a chance, now they see the whole person. And now they can decide whether that's something that they are interested in going further with. They can decide whether or not it's something they could live with. Let's say he's got a limp. Let's say there's some area that he's handicapped that he won't be able to do. But in every other way, he's terrific. He's wonderful. He's perfect for the girl. So Jewish law might say in certain, and every situation is different. You don't have to reveal this information, but by the fourth date, the Shadchan has to tell the girl, you know, Shloimi has a limp. He's always going to have it. It's never going to disappear. And it can impede his ability to be able to work in the future. You know, it's not getting better. It's only getting worse. Okay, so again, there are, but to just sweep things under the rug or make up things shows a lack of bitachon. So there's a sociocultural attitude towards bitachon as well. That behind closed doors, we can have a inauthentic bitachon and there can be an inconsistency between how we talk and the way we behave. You know, I always give this example, but obviously, you know, the woman who's got wearing the white bar mitzvah dress and she comes into the kiddush and she spills something on herself before she's even made her grand entrance, right? This is her day, you know, or let's say it's a kala, right? Coming to her engagement party and it's Shabbos or whatever, right? So 
behind closed doors when nobody's looking, there's a different level of bitachon because it's sociocultural. What will everybody think if they see my dress dirty, right? So you'll go into the bathroom and you'll scrub it and you'll rub it. And even though it says all these different malachos on Shabbos that you're, you know, not supposed to do, they've all, forget it. I, you know, not now, God. No, not now. This is not working with the, the program. It's not on the program. Okay. So again, you know, I said that really a woman should walk in and wear it as a badge of honor. I am a Shomer Shabbat. I spilled gravy all over me and I am a proud keeper of Shabbat. I'm not getting rid of it. Okay. But the point is, is with a higher level of bitachon, we won't worry about social embarrassment because sometimes bitachon flies out the window when it has to do with social approval. You know, another example for Shabbos, let's say, you know, you're serving a salad, but there's a whole bunch of wilted lettuce in the salad. And you certainly can't bring that out to your guests. So we have a mitzvah on Shabbos, a borer, right? That you're not allowed to take away the bad from the good. But you're like, I can't serve this salad. I don't be, you know, it'll be all over the neighborhood, you know. Uh, Shoshana serves wilted salad. Don't go to her house. You know? So you start picking out the leaves, okay? It's a struggle. It's a struggle between halacha, bitachon, and, of course, the social pressure that comes with everything being perfect. Okay, the last category from the Avram ben Harambam is... I have to believe that all the natural consequences are in Hashem's hands. That even those things that are natural cause and effect, like we said, we have to make the efforts, but God determines the results. Now, mostly we see that our efforts create the results, the regular result, right? You pour a hot cup of coffee on your lap, you are going to scream in pain because it hurts. Most of the time, that is the way things work. But this is the point. When Hashem wants, the world goes according to those regular natural principles. You walk out into the middle of a busy highway without looking. The chances of getting killed are very high. It has nothing to do with God, so to speak. He set up natural rules of the universe, cause and effect. It has to do with your own foolishness your own mindlessness, your own lack of care. Don't blame it on God, okay? The same Hashem, though, who wants the world to go according to regular natural principles, and that's the way he prefers that things go, right? We said Hashem doesn't like to do miracles. He likes to be hidden. So he lets us do things, and then sometimes he'll change the results, but it looks like we did it. Okay? But when Hashem wants to break the rules, he can break the rules. He can make exceptions to the rules. This is what we call hashkacha pratit, divine providence, higher power moments. Yes, things go according to cause and effect, but if Hashem wants to, he can change that. Now, most people will fall into the regular rules of life except for where they don't work. So let's give some examples of that. So we all know people who ate healthy their whole life, who exercised, 
who did everything right. I mean, I'm thinking of one person. I don't know them personally, but I remember everybody was talking about it at the time. A young 40-year-old father, healthy, strong, no indication of illness, out playing catch with his son in the park. And the next thing you know, he has a heart attack and he's dead. And he was a runner and he did everything right and no history in the family and da 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 What? Makes no sense. Makes no sense, right? Some people who eat their healthy their whole life and they have the most perfect, you know, health regimen and they get very sick. And then we know that people who eat junk their whole life, who are overweight, who never exercise, who do nothing to promote healthy lifestyles, and they live a long life. Then there are the people who take medicine, and those people get better by taking the medicine. Then there are the people who don't take the medicine, and they also get better. And then there are people who take it, and they don't make it. So the principle is this. X, Y, and Z usually works, except when it doesn't. Or as the Chafetz Chaim used to say, and I used to quote this all the time, especially when I went through my own illness, because I, I guess I heard it back then. The Chafetz Chaim said there are two kinds of people in the world, those who are healthy and those who live a long life. So that kind of sums it up, right? They're not mutually exclusive. There is no principle, this is the point, there is no principle where there are exceptions. So generally speaking, we have a principle, right? You take the medicine, you get better. You wear the mask, you don't get corona, right? You stay to, you safe distance, you don't get corona. You stay away from everybody, you don't get corona. But we've all heard the stories of the people who have been so vigilant. Since the virus began, they do everything right, exactly. And guess what? They get the corona. How did they do that? I told you the story of my friend. She's, she, she's like, you know, up to here with, with wiping everything's off and doing everything from the beginning. And the next day I hear she calls me and says, I have a virus. And I said, what do you mean? You got the corona? No, I got a different virus and I can't figure out how. I'm so careful. I don't go anywhere. I don't. I said, listen, if Hashem wants to send a little bug up your, you know, through the crack in your front door and have it fly right up your nose, he can do that. Okay, I don't care what you're doing. Or somebody told me recently, somebody got tested for the virus. They put a Q-tip up the left side of his nose, and that was positive. Then they decided they'll try again on the other nose, other nostril, and he was negative on that side. And this was within a few minutes, okay? So, yes, all right? There are those who are healthy, and there are those who live a long life. Okay. In physics, math, and biology, there's always areas where experts are scratching their heads about something that doesn't fit the pattern. <clears throat> of course, we are living through something like this, as I just said. The experts have been scratching their heads for the last eight months. Let's hope, thank God, that they have a vaccine that's going to work and that's going to 
make things change and make everybody be able to be healthy and live, etc. But we really still don't know. And we don't know when it will end. And we don't know what will be because there are so many questions. And, you know, of course, religiously and theologically, many people have said God wants human beings to understand and know that as much as we know, there is so much that we don't know. And that is the, to, um, to prevent hubris, which is natural to mankind who thinks that he knows everything and that he can conquer anything. And, you know, this is one way that God asserts his, you know, gets our attention, let's just say. Um, I was listening to the radio and even they were just saying in general, I don't know, it was like a jazz station, but they were talking about how people are getting into gospel music. And one of the uh, announcers says, well, yeah, you know, with this virus, like, you know, people are getting more, they like the message of the gospel music. They like the message. So, you know, it's not, it's the whole world that maybe is turning an eye more towards that which we don't understand, right? That which is invisible, that which is in control or hopefully better be in control because everyone down here feels very out of control. Okay, so we're hoping there is something that is in control. Okay. So we see this socially too. We see people who have connections and they get into a certain school because of it. We see people who go to Harvard and they're very successful. But we also see people who come from everything good. You know, they've got advantages. They come from a wealthy home. They get into the right schools and nothing goes right for them. I remember meeting a woman whose husband went to Harvard she grew up as an only child in a very privileged family. And she basically talks about she became a Baltuva. Um, but her whole field of what she talks about is using the Torah to understand finances. Because she came to a point in her life where her husband, as she would say, Mr. Harvard, like ran them into the ground financially. And they had nothing, like nothing. And they had to work themselves up from the bottom. So, you know, again, a story where, what do you mean? And she would say, look at you, Mr. Harvard. You know, look what you've done to us. Of course, it was a huge strain on their Shalom Bayat. But now she uses all of the teachings of the Torah, giving tzedakah, how to, how to, how to give out your 10%, um, where to put your money. She knows all the laws of money and what the Torah says, how to use it. And this is what she teaches people now because she sees it works, that it's the best financial planning that you could ever have. Okay. So we find exceptions, of course. We find the people who were always the most marriageable, right? She's going to be the first girl to get married in our high school class. Or the opposite. Somebody who you never imagined, and they're the first one snatched up. It doesn't always go the way we think. Usually the principle might be true, but not always. So what's our practical application to this? How do we bring bitachon into our everyday? So when someone with bitachon is about to do something practical and technical, for example, send out an application, 
take medicine, go to the office with all the right documents, right? In Israel, you have to go to Misrata Panim, and if you're missing one document, that's it. You know, your whole day is ruined, okay? So you have to take a second before you go out in your day, every day, to remind yourself that I need Hashem to help me. I want Hashem to be with me in everything that I do today. When I'm filling out forms, when I'm going for a job interview, when I'm making that phone call, I want Hashem to be with me. This is the kind of Jewish mindfulness. This is the real mindfulness. This is called being God conscious. All of the many mitzvahs that we have, right? You come out of the bathroom, you have to make a bracha. You have to thank God for your body working, right? You get up in the morning, you have to say 15 blessings, thanking God for your eyes, for your, you know, for the ability to walk, for the ability to have gotten out of bed. We're our, we are God-obsessed. A Jew goes through every single day with a constant involvement, a constant interruption, even if you like, of, hi, don't forget about me. The only reason you're walking and breathing and moving around and doing anything you're doing is because I'm making it happen. So don't forget about me. Don't live an illusion of independence, of thinking that you are apart from me in any way. Think of yourself as that, that nursing child. Like David HaMelech says, I'm like a child nursing from my mother. It doesn't matter where she takes me. I could be in a bomb shelter. I could be in a park, in a beautiful park. I'm always in the same place. I'm with mom. And she's taking care of me and nourishing me and nurturing me. And that's the image of bitachon that we all want to aspire to. But it begins by doing the mindfulness exercise of saying, you know, when you write a test in Israel, when girls write a test, they'll write on the top of their page something in Hebrew that basically means... Um, Um, you know, which means God willing, I should, I should do this and I should be successful. So this is like a natural thing in Jerusalem that the girls just write this at the top of their test before they even begin. Or maybe you've noticed people put on the top of a paper before they start writing. Like when I prepare a shir, I'll put which stands for with God's help. So the idea is, is that whatever we're doing, when we take medicine, we say, may it be your will, Hashem, that this medicine, you know, actually cures me, that it makes me better, that it doesn't have side effects that, 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 that cripple me, that make it impossible to live, to, 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 to you know. So all of these things, when we take Hashem with us into our day, Right before a speaker speaks, they can say Hashem You know, Hashem, open up my mouth and let the words of Torah that I'm going to share with you today let it be for your praise, not for my honor. You know, not so everybody will say, Devar, can I have your autograph?" No, you know that would be nice too. Anyway, but you know, who am I doing this for? Why do I want this job? Why do I want that car? Why do I want this? Hashem, it's only for your glory because I know I'll be a better Ebed Hashem 
if I have A, B, or C, I think I'll be a better Eved Hashem. And if not, not, then don't give it to me. Don't give it to me, because that's also good. Okay, so we have to be mindful before a person, I don't know if everybody saw that, but there was a little um, video on the WhatsApp going around of, of um, first care workers in the NICU, is it called NICU? The neo-intensive, the intensive care unit in Israel, there were this video going around of, you know, uh, hospital workers take, getting the vaccine in their arm. And while the woman is putting the vaccine into these healthcare workers' arms, they're saying, they have a prayer with them. And they're saying, Hashem, please make it that this vaccine will help and that it will make sure that I don't get the virus. And anyway, this whole beautiful prayer. So it was going around saying, look how beautiful this is in Israel, that this is what people are doing as they're getting the vaccine, right? They're saying, Hashem, make sure that it works. And by the way, yes, we should take the vaccine. Um, and the reason that we do this, why we say a little prayer when we're about to embark on something that's important, is so that we don't get too excited about our own plans. And if the outcome isn't the way we wanted it to be. Because when you're walking with God, again, you understand that whatever the outcome is, it's good. It's for my benefit. The answer can be no, and that's good, right? We talked about last week how there's two circles of how to create bitachon. One is to notice all the stuff in your life that God gives you and to say, God, you've given me all these things because this is what I need to accomplish my mission. Thank you so much for all that I have. But then there's the second counterintuitive idea. You know what, God? And thank you for the things that I don't have. Because if I don't have it, I clearly don't need it, right? I don't need to take those vitamins just because she takes 25 every morning. Or like I used to say to my kids when they say, it's not fair, it's not fair. How come she gets? How I said, listen, if she breaks her legs, should I put a cast on you? You know, I heard that one from somebody. That was it. That was my go-to line, you know? Right? What? You, you, want, you want the cast? You know? That's the point. Everybody's getting what they need around here. No, it's not fair. It's not supposed to be fair. Zelo fair. Zelofair. Go ahead, Mary. I, I have, I, it reminded me yes. when uh, my daughter Eve, and you know Eve, she, I forget what grade Her she was in. daughter is the famous Eve Levy, everybody. We have a celebrity <laughs> mother on this. Fact. So people were, people in her class at one point had lice. So my daughter Eve, she was very feisty and very willful. She wanted to be also get the attention. So she put her head right <laughs> to the girl who had lights. There you go. Like, I want what everybody else has. Exactly. So Let me tell you. as ridiculous as that is that way, right? We have to imagine that that's as ridiculous as us, as us thinking we need what everybody else has, right? 
We have exactly what we need. We have our part of the pizza pie. So this is the point. X plus Y does not always equal Z. And when you bring God into your plans and into what you're doing every day, you don't get too excited about your success. Because the eventual outcome of all these little pieces of mindfulness is that you won't get so scared of people or situations. Because you won't be so attached to your plans and ideas and scared about what the outcome will be. In your heart, you'll be worried less about the outcome. The Chazanish says that the paradox of bitachon is that we don't know how much bitachon we really have until we're challenged. But we don't want to be challenged to find out what our level is. You don't really know your level of bitachon until something comes along that really makes you feel unstable and unsteady. You know, that person's taking away my livelihood. That person just took away my shidduch. That person just, right, when you're challenged or, you know, I just got a very scary diagnosis. This is all dependent on my getting the best doctor. God has nothing to do with this. Okay, other areas, fine. But this, I really got to, I got to travel all over the world and make sure because it's the doctor that's going to, that's going to be in charge of the outcome over here. Okay. So when we strengthen this muscle of bitachon, when things are going well, during the regular stuff of life, Hashem, help me with this. Hashem, I'm going to write a speech, help it to go smoothly, put the ideas in my head. I've got to go for an interview. Hashem, come with me, right? It says in the Parshas coming up, it says, Bo El Paro. And they always ask, God says to Moshe, Bo El Paro, come to Paro. And the rabbis ask, let's go, go to Paro. That's what Hashem should have said. Not come to Paro, go to Paro. He's telling Moshe, go to Paro, go talk to Paro, right? But the rabbis there say, why does it use the word Bo El Paro, come to Paro? Because God's saying, come with me. I'm coming too. Come with me to Paro. You're not going alone. Don't worry about your stutter. Don't worry about the fact that he's not going to listen to you. Don't get into all that overthinking and your cheshbonot about what other people are going to do. I'm coming with you. And guess what? If it doesn't go well, I was with you. Wasn't supposed to go well. It's okay. Move on. We all know the greatest successful people in life are the people who failed most and more often. And any great success story is filled with all kinds of failures. But the difference is, is that Tzaddik falls seven times. The Tzaddik gets up. You got to get up. And take Hashem with you. And then you won't be so... You won't be so intent about what the outcome's going to be. Like the Chazani said, I'm always on a pleasure trip. I'm always, I'm always on a pleasure trip in this life. I don't know where Hashem's taking me. We might go down that road. We might make a wrong turn. We're tourists. I wanted to go to the museum, but instead I ended up at the soccer field. I, I don't know. 
but I'm just going to enjoy the ride because it's a short ride, because it's a ride that is just for me. It's got twists and turns and it goes places where I never intended and I didn't plan and I didn't want it. But I'm just going to go go with the flow because Hashem is sitting right next to me. He's even in the driver's seat. I think I'm driving. There's two wheels. There's two wheels. I think I'm driving. You know, like the kid in the car, right? With the fake wheel, right? You have to give that crazy kid, you know, that's ADHD. You got to give him his own wheel. Otherwise, he'll be driving your car when he's six, you know? So, you know, he thinks he's driving the car. So do we. We think we're driving the car. And yes, we have to act as if we are driving the car. And we should. And God wants us to. But where that car is going, most of the time, X plus Y equals Z. God wants things to be that way. But there's a lot of times when that's not the way it is. Doesn't make sense. I wasn't supposed to be here. This is where I am. Because God has his plans. God wants us to go in certain places. He wants us to see certain things. He wants us to learn certain lessons. And each one of us has a tailor-made itinerary that's only for us. So see yourself as a tourist in Hashem's world. The less you're committed to a certain outcome, the more control you have over your own internal serenity. The more invested you are, the more anxious that you'll be if it doesn't happen. Hashem has a plan for me. Wherever he takes me will be good. Wherever he takes me, I'll see the view from there. Well, our time is up. I can do another five minutes if you want. Yeah, you still have Zitzfleisch? Okay, because this is an interesting idea, and there's still so much more on Bitachon that I haven't done with you. But this is interesting because it applies to women. And we said in my Shimona Esri class that women have extra Bina, right? We have an extra measure of what's called a certain type of wisdom called Bina. And Bina is the ability to analyze, infer one thing from the other, right? It uses a bit of our intuition. It's called women's intuition. And um, Dina Schoonmaker talks about how, how can women who have this extra Bina use Bitachon to reduce the anxiety that this Bina sometimes causes? She says, Bina is the ability to infer, to learn something from something else. And women are better at this. And in most cases, we use it positively, this extra ability. But we can also misuse it. And when do we misuse our Bina? When we, when we put too much analysis in a place where it's inappropriate to analyze. So she gives an example. Let's say, God forbid, you have a big financial loss. So a woman will like not just have to go through, you know, the fact that there, there was a big financial loss, but she might because of her Bina, 
get really into the, you know, what does this say about me? What does this say about me that this happened, A, B, or C? Does it mean I'm irresponsible? Does it mean I'm unworthy? Let's say that her child doesn't get into a certain school, right? She might overanalyze. You know, what is it about what, you know, a shalom bias issue, a rejection in some kind of shidduchim, or let's say she has a child who needs therapy. So she says that what a woman does sometimes with her bina is she makes negative inferences. She gets really into negative inferencing, overanalyzing. What could I do? How, you know, what did I do? What should I do? What did it, right? And she says that what happens is she doesn't realize that many situations are out of our control, but we can't stop because of this Bina inferring what this says about us. I'm not a good mother. I'm not a good friend. I'm not a Yiris Shemayim. I'm not religious enough. I need to, you know, so she says a woman needs to turn down the volume when inferencing and borrow from male strengths. You know why we lost the money, honey? Because we lost the money. Okay? That's it. Right? Don't you love that sometimes when your man comes along and says, that's it. That's the whole story. You know, nothing deeper than that. That, that. That's it. Right? It's like, wow, really? You could think like that? That is so shallow. You know? But the point is, is we can take this Bina, this inferencing, and overdo it. They didn't invite us, honey, because they didn't invite us right? They forgot. I don't know. It's not that complicated. You know, people forget. Maybe they didn't have room. They had to cut off the list at a certain, you know, 5,000. That was it. We were 5,001. It's over, right? So what Dina says is Bitafum should help us tone down the Bina when it's being used negatively. But what if we should be inferring? What if we should be going over our behavior and asking ourselves, which is a very Jewish thing, you know, maybe this happened because of something I did or didn't do. Um, the idea is, yes, that could be the case. So then do your hishtadlut, make your changes. If it's something you can change, do it. And then stop worrying about it. Don't worry about it while you're doing it. Also, if things didn't go the way you want, say this was meant to be this way and not that way. Ask yourself, what can I learn from this? What's the view from here? What does Hashem want me to see? So the question to ask yourself, ladies, is what percentage of my worry is because of, is because of inferencing? and about getting emotional, and about thinking too deeply. If there's something to learn, if there's something to change, if there's something that you can do differently, then do it. And if not, and if this is just the way things went, then stop overanalyzing and creating sadness and worry and despair and anxiety and all of those other things. Okay. I'm going to do a Rav Gov now. Anybody hear Rav Gov? Okay, I won't be as quick as him, but I'm just going to give you all of the points that we covered in the last how many months? Many, many months on Bitachon 
and they'll just, whatever sticks in your head will stick in your head and whatever doesn't, doesn't, okay? So here we go. This should take about three minutes. And I will not do it like Rob Gug because nobody can do it like him. Okay. Bitafon is a skill that takes a lifetime. It means putting your amuna into practice. It means responding like someone who believes there's a God running the world, but even more important, he's running my world. Hishtadlus, we have to make our efforts. We have to believe that it's our efforts that are going to create the results. And at the same time, we have to know that our efforts have nothing to do with the results. Hashem determines what will happen. We're making too much hishtadlus if we're anxious, if we're worried, if we're making three billion calls instead of one or two or three. We're underdoing if we're saying, Hashem's going to take care of me. I don't have to do anything. Or I'm on easy street. He's going to do it for me because I'm on a very high level of bitachon. So be careful. Don't overdo and cause yourself anxiety. And don't underdo and fool yourself into thinking you have bitachon. Hashem doesn't want to do miracles for us. He doesn't like to do miracles. He wants things to look like they're natural and cause and effect. It reminds me of Wizard of Oz. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Remember that scene, girls? Right. It's like Hashem wants to be hidden. He doesn't want you to know he's pulling the strings. He wants it to look like you're doing it. But we all know it's not true. That's what Bitachon is about. Bitachon reduces guilt. Bitachon reduces anxiety. How does Bitachon reduce guilt? Because so often we feel guilty because we think we caused something. We're the reason that this kid turned out wrong. And even in a major thing, like God forbid being in a car accident and actually hitting somebody and God forbid killing somebody. Bitachon says, you are not, you shouldn't be guilty. You didn't mean to do it. God made it happen. Every missile has an address. God will allow that missile to get to its address or not. But just because you were part of it, you don't have to spend your life being guilty because Hashem wanted it to happen. It was out of your control. Bitachon is a guilt reducer. Bitachon is not about believing everything will work out the way you want it to. It's about believing that everything works out for the best for you. It's about handing it over to Hashem after you've made your efforts and believing that whatever happens is good. Bitachon also is about the more I trust in God, the more God can do for me, right? Think good and it will be good. When we leave it to Hashem and we trust in him, we allow him to do more for us. So that's part of it too. Let go and let God. God is my shadow. God is my mother. My I'm the nursing baby. God's taking me where he wants me to go. He's with me every moment. He never forsakes me. He's carrying me during the dark and difficult times. There's only one set of footprints on the beach because that's when I was carrying you, my dear. Bitachon is the belief that no one can hurt me or benefit me unless Hashem allows it to. Bitachon alleviates jealousy. 
It brings serenity. No one can take away anything from me that is mine. It is an illusion. Nobody can take away my piece of the pie, my pizza pie. You have yours, I have mine. You cannot come over to my table and take away a slice. Your success is my success. We're all interdependent. Your failure is my failure. We don't believe in schadenfreude that I should be happy at the, at the, at the failure of another person. Because your success is my success. If it's good for you, it's good for me. When you have bitachon, you can believe that. And it, and it takes away competition and, and jealousy again. And thinking good about others as opposed to being happy when they fail. When we plan for things and keep Hashem in mind while we're planning, there's more chance the plan will turn out. Whether it's planning your vacation, whether it's re renovating your house, whether it's redecorating or even wanting to lose weight. When you bring Hashem into the equation, right? Like Alcoholics Anonymous, it's very religious, right? And they found it works. They might not talk about any particular God, but it's a very spiritual um, discipline that takes addicts and allows them to free themselves from their addiction because they're bringing it up to a higher place. They're recognizing that they, that the more they recognize their helplessness, the more helpful Hashem can be. Bitachon means being grateful for what you have, trusting that you have exactly what you need to get the job done. And bitachon means being grateful for what you don't have. Positives and negatives. Things that you think you need, that you really don't, and things that you clearly are happy that you don't have, that maybe somebody else needs. Because what you don't need is also part of the cheshbon, that you don't need it. And that's why you don't have it. But you can accomplish what you're meant to accomplish in this world without it. Okay? Bitachon means being grateful for what you don't have and celebrating that I guess I don't need it. If Hashem didn't give it to you, you can still get your job done. Don't feel threatened by what others have. You don't need it because just because she broke her leg, I'm not going to give you a cast. And the last idea, which we talked about last week, finding the good smell. Remember Yosef? He was going down to Egypt and he was in a terrible situation that no matter how dark and how difficult and how challenging our situation is right now, find the good smell. Find those places where Hashem is winking at you and peeking at you and saying, I'm with you. I'm here with you through this challenge, through this pain. You know, Ani Hashem Rofecha, Heni Machlis. I'm calling you just before you're leaving for your major chemo treatments to tell you God is with you. Remember that even the pain is the swipe of the knife that has disinfectant on it. It's the difference between seeing the knife as a murderer coming at you or as a benevolent doctor who's swiping the knife with antiseptic before he does the surgery. God is the doctor. Sometimes he has to do surgery. Sometimes he has to bring us pain. But he's a merciful doctor who's swiping the knife and purifying it 
before he makes that incision. The last idea is just, no, that's, that's the last idea. Okay, ladies, thank you so much for going on this journey with me. And um, 